This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, Dr. Roosh concludes the Championship Secret Series with his message entitled, Championship Fans. In a championship culture, people have history, low and high years, just like the Jewish culture in the time of Jesus. Let's join Dr. Roosh right now for a deeper look. Hey, we're in week number five of our championship secret series. We've been looking at the aspects of a championship team, individual work that it takes to get to that point where you accomplish and see success in your story. This week's title is this, Championship Fans. Championship fans, we're gonna be in Luke 19 in just a moment, and I'll talk about where we're gonna be heading with that. But I want you to consider in championship cultures, there are cultures that include the coaches and the players and the administration, and then there's a fan base. This past Monday night, US Bank Stadium, the national championship was held for basketball, and I was there along with Pastor Mark and bunch of people. And this is from my iPhone. I was just taking a, a video of the room and looking at how many 70-some thousand fans in the stadium. And the game's actually going on right there. There was a bunch of orange and a bunch of red. Orange for Virginia and a little bit of blue for them as well. And then Texas Tech was all red. And I have to say the Texas Tech fans were about the rowdiest group of people. I think they had a bunch of extra coffee or something else to drink before they came into the stadium, and they were riled up. And that fan base was connected to so many things in their story. They were so excited to reach the pinnacle. And it wasn't just the teams on the court. It was also the fans that were connected, the alumni, the donors, the people that were a part of the story over decades. Really an incredible moment. What is a fan? A fan, according to the dictionary, is an enthusiastic devotee, a sport, a TV show, a musical artist, usually as a spectator or an ardent admirer or enthusiast. Maybe you're one of those people that really gets into The Bachelor on TV, or maybe you get into uh, The Office over time. I know people that like, they binge and they know every line of every episode of The Office, or, or perhaps you're into a band and you really like a certain style of music and you know everything about the story of that band and a song comes on and you're like, that's my song, you know? And that's what you're a fan of. And there are many people that are sports fans, of course, and they love their team, they really get into it. I have a few Vikings fans in the house and I have a few Packers fans once in a while that show up in church as well. But here's what it means to be fanatical. Now listen to this, the fanatical comes from the word fanatic which itself came from the Latin fanaticus, meaning mad. <laughs> the original English meanings of both fanatic and fanatical implied that the person being described was insane with enthusiasm. Are you insane with enthusiasm? Okay, so in championship cultures, there is a sense of all the pieces coming together, and they all have a shared history. They've gone through highs and they've gone through lows, good seasons and bad seasons injury seasons and times where it just seems like, man, it's been a long time since we've won. And there's crazy hype that goes into uh, sports seasons where people wear face paint and put horns on their head. And uh, some people even put blocks of cheese on their head or what at least looks like that. Um, 
And uh, kids grow up hearing their parents talk about their, their teams, and it's kind of in, ingrained into the culture of, of an individual or an individual family. They're not just uh, casual fans, they're actually invested in the highs and the lows of their, their team. Now this is much like the Jewish culture at the time that Jesus showed up on the earth. Because in the Jewish culture, in the Old Testament season of time, they were all looking forward to a moment when there would be a Messiah, somebody, this figure who would come and deliver people out of their troubles. But of course, year after year after year, it seemed like the Messiah wouldn't come. And then they'd have moments when some figure, a political figure or some kind of uprising would take place and they thought, well, maybe this is gonna be the Messiah. But time after time, it never happened. And by the time Jesus shows up, there's a sense of highs and lows and letdowns. And I'll tell you this, the problem with being a fan is the letdown, let's be serious. We get all our hopes up that this is the year, this is the year the Vikings are gonna win it all. This is the year the Timberwolves are gonna go all the way, the, the Gophers and the Twins, but we're all winning, it's good. We're in a winning streak. But when we lose, man, everything seems bad in life. It's like a filter that we look through and champions know how to handle the fans in their life. They know how to deal with the praise, and they know how to not give in to the, the haters. Now look with me at Luke chapter 19, verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. How many would like to be able to say that to your kids? The Lord needs it, you need to do this. Clean your room. Bam. So they went and they found the colt, just as Jesus had said, and sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Now hidden in this story, we're gonna keep going through chapter 19, but the first secret, championship secret number one today is this. Champions prepare before the fans notice. There's gonna be a crowd in this story. There's gonna be people cheering him on. But before anything happens, before there's a performance, Champions prepared before the fans noticed. This moment was epic. It had been predicted a long time before in the Old Testament. In fact, in John's version of the same story, it's like the difference between CBS and Fox and, and ABC, they're all given a different vantage point of this story. In John's version, in John 12, 16, says his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Hundreds of years before, this had been predicted. In fact, in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, it says, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a what? A donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now here's the thing, there's this donkey, and when it comes to the donkey coming in, it was predicted hundreds of years before. God actually thinks ahead. Some of us get caught up in our moments and we're like, 
What? The sky is falling. I don't know if God cares about me. I don't know what's going to happen here. Everything stinks. It's all going down. But you need to know this. God's got a plan. He knows what's next. He's preparing for what's coming. In fact, he had prepared hundreds of years beforehand that he would have a donkey for the king to ride into town on. Now, this is not a Lexus, friends. He's not like riding in luxury in. It was a very specific animal, an animal that had not been ridden before, and there was preparation to that. And I think that's exactly what we need to consider in our lives if we're to be champions, that we also have to prepare ahead of time. We, and it really goes down to the daily, the daily moments of disciplines and times where we invest our time and our effort and our energy into the things that nobody else sees at 6 a.m. when nobody's watching. Do we turn our head over on the pillow or do we get up and work out? Do we watch what we're eating? Because friends, I'll tell you what, whatever we do in the private will de declare itself when we step on the scale. And you can rebuke it in Jesus' name, but it's not changing, right? So, so whatever you do in the private will affect you in the future. So you prepare for the championship. You do what you have to do so that you can do what you want to do. That's what you have. There's a practice to that. There's a moment in the, you have to go into the gym. You gotta pick up the weights. You gotta, you gotta start working those weights, all right? First Corinthians 9, 24, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training, they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Let me just say this, and we'll move on to the next championship secret. There are many of us that go through the motions, but we are not preparing in a way that will help us win. And I want you to consider in your daily Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday habits, re-looking at and re-upping your game in your practice. Because practice doesn't make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. Whatever you're regularly doing will influence who you are when you get in the performance side of things. And obviously I'm not saying that you're gonna be uh, known by everybody else, but you don't know when your big epic moments are coming. There's a design that God has for your life that was planned for you, a journal if you will, a, uh, a calendar plan, appointment for you in the future, and you don't know when God's setting you up. And when those moments come, whatever you do, the muscle memory kicks into gear when you get to that moment. So think about the daily and the preparation side of things just as Jesus did. Championship secret number two is this. Championship wins draw a crowd. Luke 19, let's go on, verse 36. It says this, as he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all the followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now here's, here's a, a moment where now the crowds are starting to come around him. This was predicted as well, and they were shouting things about who he was. But why did the crowd come? I mean, what was it that drew them in in the first place? Well, John's account of the story in 
John 12, it says this, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. So Jesus' miracles, specifically Lazarus being raised from the dead, began to draw a crowd. It wasn't usual, it wasn't normal, it was a different experience to their life. And so the crowds, people began to, it became a hashtag uh, trending item on social media. People began to show up because of what Jesus had done. Now Jesus was a miracle worker, he was one who had healed the sick, he had also proclaimed truth to the crowds, but when he raised someone from the dead, everybody took notice. I want you to consider this, success draws a crowd. Success provides notice. It doesn't mean whatever you did to get to success was the right thing, but when you succeed, man, it draws a crowd. And that's okay. You don't see Jesus sending the crowds away in this moment. This is something that's okay. Now I want to translate this back to your story and mine. When it comes to success in our own story, don't Don't be afraid of success. Don't be one that pushes it away. Don't be afraid of success in your story. If you're chasing good grades in school or you're going up in your career or God is expanding your territory, if if you're able to have kids and somebody else isn't, don't sit there and feel bad because of the gifts that God has given you at the moment. And I think you need to hear me uh, from my heart today in this church. Church, I want you to be successful. I want you to follow your father into the things that he has planned for you. And sometimes you're gonna go through the valley and it's not gonna feel like success and you need to follow him there. But you also need to follow him when he takes you into success. When things start working out for you and you need to not forget him in the middle of it, but it's okay. It's okay to cheer people on. It's okay to go, I'm so excited for you. And even as a church culture, I wanna encourage us Let's be those that get happy when other people are happy. Cry when they cry, but let's get excited when people get promoted or they get the house they wanted and you didn't get the house, but hey, when they get the wife or they get the husband or they get the kids or let's be a church that celebrates people. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Championship secret number three. Champions stay focused on their mission. Champions stay focused on their mission. Now, in the crowd moment, people are cheering for him. We can't mistake attention as our goal. This is important in our generation because our generation, the present media generation, and especially the younger generations, we equate popularity with success. Popularity as the goal. Once I got enough followers, once I got enough likes, once I got everybody noticing, then that's the dream. How many know when you get there, it doesn't feel that great? There's always somebody that's got more, somebody that's done more, and then of course, with it come the critics. So the goal isn't to get success. Success is a byproduct, or the, the, the notoriety and the popularity of people when you have success. The goal is to stay on mission. And for Jesus, he's on mission to go to the cross. He's in a direction to go towards his mission. Okay, so he's not gonna get distracted by the momentary crowds that are around him. He's gonna have to deal with both praisers and haters. Look at verse 39. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, 
rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Now he's talking about the praisers. The praisers, the praisers that are getting the praise out. There's warm weather cultures and there's cold weather cultures. In the cold weather cultures, which we tend to be in in Minnesota, it's cold outside, we're insulated, we wear gloves, we wear coats, we wear layers. We have two foot rules between us and the people around us. We don't get too close, we're insulated, right? Warm weather cultures, you go to Puerto Rico, they know how to party in Puerto Rico. <laughs> There's an amen from a Puerto Rican, let's go. Hey, hey. See, they can't in. The stones would have cried out if she didn't say amen. There's something about the differences. Well, no, I want you to consider when it comes to heaven's culture. Heaven's culture is probably a little more warm weather culture. Because you see in the story, people are praising out loud. They're, they're not leaving it inside. They're not bottling up. They're not keeping all dignified and religious. There is an inner praiser inside of you that needs to come out. It does come out once in a while. When the Vikings make a miraculous throw for a touchdown that wins the game, and they're showing video of the whole state and people in their living rooms, and people are jumping up and down and fainting and going crazy and all that kind of stuff. There is an inner fanatic inside of you. It just needs to come out. Jesus does not silence the praisers. He does not shut them down. He's not offended by them. He's, he's actually saying, if they didn't do it, the stones would start. Something's gonna praise. Here's my point today. When it comes to the journey that we're on, Jesus is allowing this to happen because it must happen. The praise must come out of you to your creator. Inside of your soul, there is something that was created to have relationship with God. And in relationship with God, the pathway of communication is called worship. There is something that says in the creation, oh my God, you are a great and awesome and mighty God. You have created the heavens and the earth. You have cast my sins into the sea of forgetfulness. I can run to you as a tower of refuge in my time of need. I can count on you when everybody else abandons me for you are a friend that sticks closer than any brother. The praise must come out. It has to come out. And friends, it's not just a thought in your head. It is a verbal thing that comes out of your mouth. For God, when he chose to create the world, he spoke it into existence. He said, let 
there be light. And something happened when God spoke. Something happens when you speak. What you speak with must be praise. The praise needs to come out. If all you do is rehearse all the bad things going on and all the people that hurt you you, or all the people that turn their back on you or how bad it seems or how many pills you're getting from the pharmacy because your body is failing. If all that... that's all that's coming out of your mouth the praise isn't coming out and now all of a sudden all the negative stuff that's coming out of your mouth becomes a prophecy of your future if instead you can begin to praise God in everything give thanks in all circumstances as Paul says then something else is being predicted prophesied for your future I know that God is my rock and my shield and my salvation whom shall I fear I'm proclaiming it into the future this is why the Old Testament it was the praisers who went out into battle ahead of the warriors why because the spoken word does things in the spirit that you cannot do with your muscles you cannot do with your tongue the spirit does something okay when you speak that praise out and that comes out of your spirit you declare the greatness of God like a banner over your life like a banner over your children like a banner over your home like a banner over your business come on somebody Praise must come out. It's got to come out. Problem is, and it's seen right in that same two verses, is there's haters. And haters going to hate. And this is the moment. This is the moment that they were trying to critique and shut down the praise. They were trying to shut down the praise. How many of you know cynics and sarcasm tries to shut us down? Sometimes our own voices shut us down because in our own head we're like, I screwed up, I messed up, and we're confessing all the things that we did that were bad that are all under the blood, thank you very much. And the critic comes along named Satan. Maybe it's not a Pharisee. Maybe it's not somebody in the church. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's the enemy in our ears saying, I know what you did. I know, I, I know who you were. And it tries to shut down the praise. When you come to church, friends, you have to learn to shut the mouth of the hater and the critic on one side of you and shut them down and turn around and say, I'm not letting the devil shut down my praise. I'm not letting those critiques shut down my praise. Even the neck, hey, sometimes we've got some negative people in our life, well-intentioned dragons that are shutting us down. Sometimes we need to walk away from the people that are shutting down our future and we need to turn and praise him. Number four, champions have special fans without the crowd. Ooh, what do you mean by that, Pastor Nate? Well, somehow Jesus is able to walk with the haters on one side, the praisers on another, and not stop and follow either one because his mission was to go to the cross. And so he had to have something that helped him persevere and keep stepping and not stop in one place or the other. 
And so he had to have another voice in his head, something else that was telling him to keep going, someone else that he relied on when it wasn't popular anymore, when the crowds faded away and they were no longer cheering him because the same crowds that praised him turned around and said, crucify him. So how did he keep going? In Matthew 3, when he was baptized, it says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Jesus had the voice of the Father in his head everywhere he went. He knew, even if he was getting rejected by the people that were around him, he knew that he still had the Father who would catch his back. I don't know if you have a parent or a coach or a teacher or a friend that even when everybody else gives up on you, they don't give up on you. But I'll tell you this, when it comes to champions, champions have to learn to keep persevering even when the crowd stops cheering. They have to keep moving and the way they do it, they have a different voice in their head and it's the voice of the father. You are my son, you are my daughter, you are adopted into the royal family. No matter what you have done, Jesus, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you rely on the one that is with you in season and out of season when you have a job or when your company folds up, when you have a marriage or the marriage dissolves, when it seems like things are great and things aren't so great, he's still there for you. What voice do you hear in your head when things aren't going well? Is it the voice of the bully from years ago who said certain things about you and they come back and they taunt you? Is it the voice of an angry parent who used words that were not belief words in you and shut you down? Do you give up on yourself? Well, friends, we need to recognize the lie that shut us down and replace it with the voice of truth. The voice of truth isn't popular and people with evil in their hearts hate the voice of truth, but listen to the voice of truth anyway. Number five, the championship fans see past one moment. They see past one moment. Jesus didn't come to meet their expectations. He came to lay his life down. He had a different mission in hand. What kind of fan are you gonna be? Are you gonna be the one of, you know, we look at this and we go, hey, I'm a fan of Jesus, but did you know that Jesus placed you in the earth to be salt and life to the people around you, to the children in your home, to the people in your life, the people you go to school with, work with, your family, He's called you to be salt and light, and you are to be a fan in their world, called to be one who cheers them on through their difficulties, sees them raised up for a future, and they're gonna go through difficult stuff. Hebrews chapter 12, verse five, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, he punishes each, and one, each one he accepts as his child. Hang in there, S stay past this moment and see past it. Fans, we need to learn to control our emotions for the betterment of the people that we're leading. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages by checking out emmanuelcc.org.
Be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time. 